Welcome to the Primary Knowledge Podcast brought to you by Cornerstones Education. I'm James Marriott and today we're tackling a, a really super important issue, the mental health and well-being of young people. Now I'm joined today by Simon Antwis, who is Senior Education Consultant at Steer Education, a platform designed to help schools and teachers to measure, track and improve the self-regulation and mental well-being of young people. Simon, thank you for joining us. No problem, it's a pleasure. First of all, let's well let's let's talk about technology. Now, I I kind of tried there to give an idea of what steer education is all about, and I'm sure you can do that much better than I can. But just give us a, a bit of a wider overview, if you would do, about the role that technology can play in in the mental health of young people. Well, in a past life, I, I was an inspector, and um, when we when we used to inspect schools, we'd obviously give the children a questionnaire. And I'm sure all good heads and leaders out there are giving their children's questionnaires as well. And what I felt the questionnaire didn't achieve was to get really into the minds of young people about what they're really feeling. I mean, the opening question is, do you feel safe? And obviously that is a different beast to different children. And some children don't want to answer that question. And some children aren't able to answer that question. So I felt that there needed to be a much more sophisticated solution to identify you know, how children were really feeling and thinking. And text played a, you know, a huge part in that for STEER Education because our platform, our assessment tool, is, is delivered using uh, tech. And the algorithms within that tool measure uh, the responses that children make and the, the time gaps between them. And, and it, it can identify children that are gaming the system, if you like. <laughs> And just answering the same same question each time, so yeah, it's, it's been pivotal in in the success of our tool in you know in over two hundred schools that we use it in uh, to identify precisely what children are thinking, and not to what they might answer on a very binary survey. Just kind of break it down a little bit more for us, if you would do then. So, so where does the tech kind of fit in? So, if if you think about, I mean, you know, when I think when I was at school, I'm not sure that there was even a questionnaire about stuff like kind of mental well-being. But you know, we're going back a bit. But you know, kind of if you think about, um, you know, questionnaire being kind of you know a couple of pieces of paper put in front of someone many many years ago. What difference does technology make? How how does that work then? How is it now delivered that that makes that better? So the children will um, be able to sit the assessment, which is only 10 minutes long, or 15 minutes if you, if you decide to do that sort of double assessment, which, which measures uh, their feelings in school and out of school. And they can do that on a desktop or an iPad. And in fact, some of our other products can be delivered using mobile phones. So we, right. we have a product called Usteer, uh, which is designed for post-16, where, where children are more able to handle the data that's being sent back to them and design their own pathway. So I suppose it makes it really accessible. As you mentioned, it doesn't involve bits of paper. And what's the, the amazing thing about it is the data is instantly analysed and is available to the school within minutes. So there's no need, you know, when, when I was vice principal 100 years ago, I'd have to collect all these questionnaires in and, and count up all the answers, as you say, on paper. And you've lost the moment a little bit. So we, you know, with some schools, we offer them the opportunity to try before they buy, and they'll pick a cohort, you know, maybe you know, fifty to hundred pupils, and we can do all that in an hour. So you know, take the pupils, you know, to the right setting and the right conditions. Also, what the tech allows is is for for the um, the data to be gathered in a coordinated and valid way, because we've been collecting data for over seven eight years now, 
and we've been really careful that we collect it in a really scientific way and that it's, it's done in the same way in, in all the schools so that the, the data can be used to produce you know national reports that we that released in February for example or data that we return to the government or to identify trends uh, to share with others which is really our, our raison d'etre we, we want to you know, reverse this awful uh, decline in mental health and well-being in young people and that's that's our primary mission so that the tech has been pivotal and also the way we ask the questions you know it's, it's done through animations and uh, uh, it's delivered through voice and the platform is very child friendly and it adapts from you know, the age of eight so this isn't always suitable for children in year three all that to year 13 so you can get a you know, longitudinal set of data for a child that lasts 10 years and when they leave school, they get they get to own the data, so they mm. they can understand what was done for them during their school journey and what they might like to adopt themselves as young adults. And I don't think you could ever do that with paper <laughs> and no. a bundle of paper to a child at year thirteen, particularly if they've changed schools or you know, changed settings. I think I think you've you've touched on a couple of things in there that sort of slightly answer this, but I'm just trying to think from a school's perspective then. How does this fit in? You know, what difference ultimately can technology play when we talk about pastoral care? Well, I, I was ahead a few times over, lucky enough to be ahead a, a couple of times, and um, I it's a it's a very daunting job, <laughs> and hats off to anyone who does it. You know, I don't want to discourage anyone doing it, but you you constantly are worried about missing a child, that something awful manifests itself in your school setting, and uh, you have any sense that you you didn't do as much as you could have done to identify that? Now I, I knew from being a head and an inspector and a, and a vice principal in charge of pastoral care that children don't overtly let you know what's going on in their lives. There there are indicators, and pastoral staff are very skilled at picking these up, whether it's attendance or behaviour or appearance or manner, all the other professional judgments and instincts. Uh, we're not asking staff to abandon those. We're trying to support them and affirm them and, and augment them. And also the deep knowledge school have about the context of that child, what's going on at home, what's happened to that child's life, you know, whether that child has had trauma that we need to identify. But often young people are quite skillful, whether intentionally or not, at masking what's going on in their lives for whatever reason. And when I got my first set of data back as a user of steer tracking as a head teacher. We had 27 pupils identified to us. So these are pupils you might want to consider putting action plans in place or intervening early so that they, they don't end up manifesting this you know, in, in self-soothing strategies, self-harm or, or, God forbid, any worse. And you know, a good proportion of those are my staff had spotted already through their own strategies. And it was a great affirmative meeting. But there were a couple of students on there that I think all of us raised our eyebrows at, you know, the, I'll, I'll call this girl Jane. But there was a girl called Jane who, who was straight nines and captain of hockey and head girl material who came up as a priority pupil. And I think my staff in the room, I think they looked at me and I, I knew they were thinking, what Simon brought this thing in for? It's a load of rubbish. And I sort of looked at my shoes as well and, and tried to style it out a little bit. Anyway, when we moved on. But a couple of weeks later... Jane just walked off school site to our astonishment and it wasn't the sort of school where students walked off school site it was, you know it had its issues but that wasn't one thing that happened and she was found at home and the deputy head who found her realized that she was sole carer for her siblings her parents had got ill and had to return back to another country 
and the mother had gone to nurse the father and you know, and she'd been left in charge. But because she was so bright and socially skillful, she'd managed to mask it all. So I think, you know, my team then felt this tool was providing something that we didn't have before. And that any pastoral carer worth their salt is open to any ideas that help them spot every single child that needs support and intervention. So that was my motivation. I, I, I always felt I had a dashboard for the school on the academic side that had lots of bells and whistles and pie charts and, you know, and I could pinpoint things that we could address and you know, areas for development and things were doing really well and collaboration and all sorts of things like that. And, and it was very impactful. On the pastoral side of the school, I felt it was a very thin dashboard, if any. It was attendance, bespoke behavioural data and instinct and lots of soft data. And for the first time with, with steer tracking, I felt that I had something that was much more granular, much more insightful, much more pointed. You know, for example, you know, we, we, we knew that year nine girls had low trust of self as a cohort. So they, they, were, they weren't piping up in class and they, they, they weren't putting themselves forward. They weren't expressing their voice. So I test this quite a lot as an inspector when, when I'm told that people's voice is outstanding. And I think, OK. All schools hand out questionnaires, but are we getting really deep into pupil voice, the voice we don't hear? So that that was where I felt I needed support on that. And I think, you know, and as you said, technology played a huge part in that. Um, and it makes it quick and easy and painless. You know, the least attention you can draw to the process, the better. Mm. Because we don't want what's called pri- the priming effect. We don't want people thinking, oh, there's been a questionnaire, we all better behave. Or there's a questionnaire. I better, I better be even quieter. I better, I better, I better disclose even less because I don't want to draw attention to myself. So that's that's what I felt it was. It was it was a way to circumnavigate what we called a child's front stage. Yeah. So as as human beings, we all have a front stage, don't we? We always present our best, and we reveal our backstage to varying degrees to different audiences. But you know, with children, they are less able to reveal their backstage. Uh, in comfort as adults are so this tech allowed us to get around that front stage into the backstage to find out what was really going on in, in that child's mind that's that's great and and that's a really brilliant example actually there that you've used with regards to jane i'll i'll, I'll probably ask you later actually if there's any other examples that are worth kind of bringing up what about i mean you used a phrase and i hope i'm not misquoting you here but you used a phrase right at the start of this where you talked about kind of the old system of questionnaires and those pupils who are kind of cheating the system when it comes to answering those things what do you do about someone who's got something going off and they just don't want to talk about it they, they want to hide it they will actively try to to hide it they're just maybe they're just not ready or they're not comfortable or for whatever reason they they do not want anyone to know about it. What can you do in that situation? Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to call it gaming the system. <laughs> I think that's what you said, yeah. gaming the system. I, I think, did misquote you. I apologise. That's right, not at all. But I just um, I just want to be fair to children because I, you know um, they find this difficult, and I think most adults would if you had a questionnaire shoved in front of you and asked how you felt. But the tool is very good at identifying children who are who are gaming the system, who are answering questions too quickly, or put an A every time. We have a seven point scale, a Likert scale, from definitely would to definitely wouldn't, and and various iterations of that depending on the age. So the tool can quickly identify, and it it will ping it up as as, as the child's doing the the assessment. Now that's an indicator in itself. The child's not engaging, and um, you know, and, it, and it's a it's a signpost to that school. I'm not saying the tool tells you whether a child's not revealing what they're saying. 
But what, what I'm telling you is that the child is, is masking something. And then it's up to great pastoral care and the action planning kit you get with the tool to try and tease that out of the child in, in, a, in a subtle, sensitive, time-sensitive you know, manner. It's not going to say, boom, this child's got self-harming risks. But it, is, it teases out a child's ability to self-regulate. You know, I'm a father of three and I, all I wanted for my children is that when they finally flee the nest, which they're just about done, that they will make great decisions when I'm not there whatever that may be, you know, and you know, they're able to self-regulate. And, and the reason we're called steer is because the analogy is that children are driving a car along the road of life. And all we want them to be able to do is be able to navigate it. And, you know, different contexts and different situations with different people require different responses and different behaviours. So that's what we mean by self-regulation. You know, the ability to say and do and act the right thing at the right time in the right context. And we can split that out into four areas. You know, trust of self. Are, are they, do they overly trust of self or do they completely not trust themselves? Those are the two extremes. Trust of others. Do they overly trust others, listen to everything that they're told and act on it? Or do they not listen to anyone else at all with all the sliding scale in between? Are they high self-disclosing? They tell you everything. Overshare. Or are they low self-disclosing? Do they, do they undershare? And then they're seeking change. Are they, are they constantly wanting to change their lives because they're not happy? or they fixated and don't want to change anything. And they're measured on those four scales. So you get, it's very granular, you know, and some of the combinations tell you something. So, you know, if, if you're high trust of self and low trust of others, you know, that's sort of, you know, dictatorial behavior. Everything I know, I believe to be right. Anything anyone else knows, I believe to be wrong. And those combinations can tell you a thing about trust. So we have what, what, what are called composite risks, and they're indicators of what, you know, path that child's going down. So when you get the tool, you know, you'll get a lot of consultant support for the first three years from launch to implementation to embedding to accreditation. But what I, what I achieved with this tool in two schools was, is I had everyone taking responsibility for pastoral care. And I, by that, I mean maths teachers, geography teachers, where I'd arrive at school sometimes and they would say, well, that's, that's not my job. That's someone else's job. And I'd say, actually, you're wrong, because we, year nine girls have got low trust of self, so we need to change the way we teach them. So what you, the way you deliver your lessons will have an impact on the way they feel. So you are a pastoral carer through the way you teach maths. And equally, I'd tell pastoral carers, you are having an impact on academic outcomes because you're identifying what that, that group of children aren't doing. You're asking a maths teacher to change their pedagogy, which means their outcomes will improve. So... The dream for any head teacher is, is to go from where you've got two halves of the school butting against each other, pastoral carers and the academic staff, as self-proclaimed, to a situation where all individuals in the school, and I mean all, not just the teaching staff, the non-teaching staff as well, are all taking their tiny bit of responsibility for the pastoral care of the children in, every, in the way they deliver everything, whether it's the, the way they deliver food, the way the grass is cut, the way mass is delivered, as well as identifying all the conventional things that we, we use to, to spot if children, uh, things aren't right. And then that's where the skill of the pastoral staff and all this stuff kicks in after that, that they can come up with what they, where they think this is leading. And, and then you've now got a child that you're monitoring much more subtly because the child won't know that there, there's an action plan. We don't share that with them until they're, they're the right age, until they're year 11 and above. So I hope that that's a long answer to your question, but I think that, no, that's, it's, that's it's the answer. way you know, a school wants to deliver its pastoral care.
This might be a simple question. It, it might not. So you, you've mentioned Year Nine girls a, a couple of times as we've as we've gone along. We know from the research that's out there that there there seems to be a kind of a growing divide about girls and boys in terms of social and emotional well-being. How how does this work in, in, in those senses? You know, essentially, I suppose the question is whether or not it, does this work differently for boys and for girls to take that stuff into account? Well, we, we produced a national report in February, which was you know, published in all the main broadsheets and um, featured on television. Uh, and, you know, and we shared it widely. And that, and that report indicates that all children, their, their ability to self-regulate has dropped. We, we think we're the only organisation that's got longitudinal data over the five, six year period pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, up to you know, the end of last year. And, and you know, for a significant number of children, 15,000 children you know, in, in multiple schools. And we're seeing that all children's ability to self-regulate has dropped by a quarter, huge amount. But there is a significant difference between the way the girls have reacted to the pandemic and boys. Now, I appreciate that is a trend, national trend, and it is scientific data but, and that the situation might be different in your school in your context but what it's saying is that girls ability to self-regulate has dropped by a third 33 percent and a boys has dropped by 15 percent so there's a, there's a significant difference between the way the girls have reacted and responded during the pandemic than boys have okay that's interesting you mentioned earlier about um jane are there any other kind of examples that that you kind of want to drop in at this point more, more to do with, with cohorts. You know, we've we noticed we've noticed that with year six that there are significant mental health and well-being issues as they approach transition. So that that's something we've we, that the data identified in multiple schools and sometimes more significantly in boys because um, without wishing to be too stereotypical, boys are the most comfortable when they know what's coming up, when they can predict the future, and then know who's in charge and what goes where, and they find transition you know a, a significant issue. So. They, it's been very useful for schools to identify that and, and address how they handle transition and, and what they do to support the pupils. So that's a, a good gen, general example if we're seeing across schools. Okay, brilliant. Well, Simon, thank you very much for joining us. I do find this a really fascinating subject area. It's been really good to um, to chat and find out more about what, what you guys are up to. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity for sharing it. And um, good luck to all those pastoral carers out there. Uh, and, and all the heads, because I know handling the pandemic has been a monster task and uh, hats off to all of them. Absolutely. Thank you, Simon. Now, I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. It doesn't end here because, as ever, we've picked out loads of extra things like kind of links and resources that are all related uh, to today's discussion. So if you want to explore and learn a bit more around the topic, head to the show notes for this episode and you'll find everything there. And of course, there's loads more information and you can find all our other episodes at cornerstoneseducation.co.uk. Thank you for listening and see you next time.